Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Get ready for an awesome one-time session from our favorite executive pastor, Pastor Dave Goldner. It's called Improving Your Serve, The Key to Greatness. And please, if you're ever in our area, we would love for you to be our special guest. So for more information and details, go to joychurch.net. Here's what we're talking about today, improving your serve or the key to greatness. How many of you want to be great? I see uh, four hands in the crowd. <laughs> now, here's why I asked that question that way, because I knew that's what would happen. We all believe that, that we all want to be great, but we all think to want to be great is wrong. You ever notice that? It's like, well, that's prideful. Well, you know, I, I, you know I, in church, I wouldn't raise my hand because, you know, I can't, I can't portray myself in that way. Jesus' disciples had the same kind of problem, the same kind of condition, but greatness is something that we in our nation and we in our world, we measure and we measure it big. It's something we look for, it's something we measure. You know, we got the Olympics coming up in just a couple months. I love the Olympics. Every four years, greatest athletes all over the world come together, they compete. What do they do? They compete to see who's the greatest. And what do they do? The greatest gets rewarded, don't they? They get medals, and you know, the gold medal, the silver, the bronze. You know, if you got the decathlon win, you're considered the world's greatest athlete in the Olympics every four years. In other, other areas, greatness is measured in other ways. If you're a great actor, you want to be measured by an Academy Award. You know, that many times is considered one of the greatest awards that you can get as an actor. What if you're a scientist? Well, I'd like to get that Nobel Prize for, for, for math or for science or, or, or chemistry or whatever. That's a great way that that is measured and a great way that that's rewarded. Soldiers, we, we were just honoring our soldiers just a moment ago, and many times uh, our most valiant soldiers uh, on the battlefield are honored with various medals up to the Congressional Medal of Honor. And then if you're a student, you know, you're a high school student, you want to be the valedictorian, you work hard for that, and you're rewarded for that. Even if you're the greatest idiot, you're rewarded with your own reality TV show. So... <laughs> By the way, I actually saw a volunteer for The Greatest Idiot when I said that, that, that raised their hand out there. But uh, reality TV show is coming your way, sir. And listen, even The Greatest Singer is rewarded as a YouTube sensation, backed by popular demand. Check it out. All right, let me see. Is this thing on? You know, I'm so tired of people saying that I cannot sing, and I got the way to fix it now. If this is filming. All right, so I'm going to upload this video. I am going to prove to the world and Joy Church that I can sing. And I'm telling you, I'm going to have a million hits. This is going to be a, a runaway success. I'm so excited about this. So I got to.
I gotta get this thing started here. Walking by the city Where I never die Where the sending millions Never say goodbye I couldn't have done it better. All right, this is going up on YouTube today. It's gonna change the world. Huh. How many of you can sense the Holy Spirit on that? That was very moving. Uh, my mother's birthday is coming up on Tuesday. That's a special birthday gift for her this morning. So happy birthday, mom. Now, back to greatness. You know, Jesus recognized greatness. Jesus defined greatness. Jesus rewarded greatness, but he looked at it in a completely different way. Let's see how Jesus took a look at greatness. Take a look with me over in Mark chapter 9. Look in verse 33. Then Jesus, he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Now, how many of you have gotten yourself in trouble by saying or talking about things you probably shouldn't have? Anybody ever done that? And that's exactly where his disciples were. They were on the road fighting among themselves as to who was the greatest of the disciples. Now, they think they're doing that without Jesus knowing, but listen, you don't do anything without Jesus knowing. So they get to the house, and Jesus calls them on it. And I love their response. Look in verse 34. And he sat down, uh, or, oh, verse 34. But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. No one was willing to admit what they were talking about because they all thought they were in trouble. They were expecting a correction. They were expecting a rebuke. They were expecting to be in trouble for what they were doing. But look in verse 35. And he sat down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Check out this life point straight out of that passage. Jesus did not rebuke them for wanting to be great. He taught them how to be great. 
He didn't say, that's wrong. What you're after right there is wrong. He said, you know what? If that's what you want, let me tell you how to get there. Here's how to get there from here. Look at his account over in Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. But he, this is Jesus speaking again, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus wasn't about uh, scolding these guys for wanting to be significant. He wasn't getting on them for wanting to make a difference. He was trying to help them understand, guys, if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to be great, if you really want to be significant in this life, here's how you do it. Here's how you get there from here. And not only that, Jesus didn't just define it for them. Jesus provided incentive for them and a reward as an incentive for them. Let's take a look at this. Here's some rewards that come for a faithful servant. Look at number one. We just saw that. He will be considered greatest among you. Wouldn't that be nice if Jesus considered you the greatest? He just told you how that can come to pass. Look at number two. Second reward for a faithful servant. He'll be honored by God. John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus says this. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. So God will honor those who are servants and who serve the Lord. Look at number three. God will make them ruler over many things. Look over in Matthew 25. We'll take a look at that verse real quick. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of of your Lord. So the reward for faithfulness, the reward for service, the reward for being a faithful servant was what? Go back. Number three. God will make you ruler over many things. And then number four from that same verse, I love this. You get to hear well done from the Lord and enter into his joy. How many of you are looking forward to that? How many of you want to live your life in a way so that when you go on to be with Jesus down the road, you have your Lord tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody want to hear that? Well, it's the faithful servant that gets the well done, right? And so servanthood, being a servant, is huge. It's huge. It's our key to greatness. Not in a prideful way, but in a deferring it to God way. You know, the Bible says when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things are added unto us. So many times we as people, we're chasing things, we're pursuing things, whatever those things are. It might be wealth, it might be riches, it might be, it might be notoriety, it might be greatness. All right? And so the world chases after the things. The world chases after the stuff. The world chases after the notoriety. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let those other things chase you down. Let those other things pursue you. Don't even concern yourself with those things because those things will come upon you and overtake you if you will set your focus in the right way and on the right things. And that's exactly how God wants us to live our lives. Now, what was Jesus doing in instructing the disciples? He was trying to create and produce servant leaders. He wasn't just training leaders. He was training these leaders as servants. And he set the greatest example for them. You remember over in in, uh, John chapter 13? They came in, they went to eat, and no one was there to wash their feet. And what did Jesus do? He got up, he grabbed a towel, wrapped it around himself, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Remember that? And his disciples are like, what is going on here? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was setting the example as a leader to his disciples 
to demonstrate and show to them how significant and how important being a servant was. He served them in a very beautiful and very distinct way. And then he said, go and do likewise. He wasn't talking about go wash people's feet necessarily. He was talking about go and serve people in the same manner that you've seen demonstrated here. Now, let me give you some significant statements about servant leaders. This kind of helps you understand what a servant leader is. Servant leadership is a condition and not a position. You know, so many people are looking for a title. They're looking for a position. They're looking for a role. And they measure their significance in that. Well, I'm the manager of this, or I'm the boss of that, or I'm the, the you know, the whatever. And it's not about position. It's about a condition. It's a heart condition. It's an internal thing that says, you know what? I'm going to serve somebody because I choose to, because I get to. And it's a heart condition. Number two, servant leadership starts in the heart but it ends in the hands. What does that mean? That means there's action, there's activity, there's doing something associated with serving. You ever go to a restaurant and your server comes along and, and stands there and does nothing? If they just stand there and look at you, they're not serving you, are they? Right? Serving requires action. Leading requires action. You ever play the game follow the leader? Right? What if the leader doesn't go anywhere? Can't follow them, can you? There's got to be some motion going on. And so it starts in the heart, but it ends up in the hands. Number three, third significant statement about servant leaders. Servant leadership occurs up, down, and all around. It's not just about, you know, who's, who's running the show gets to set the example. If you want to be a servant leader, you can do that exactly where you are. Whether you're the boss, whether you're not, no matter what the role is. If, you, if you're, if you're a, 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 a child in your home, you can set the example in your home as a servant leader. And that example will affect and impact people in every direction, up, down, and all around. It's a beautiful thing. Number four, servant leaders serve their way to significance, and they have influence or effect. They serve their way to making a difference. They don't pursue the making a difference, they pursue the serving, but as they do it, they do make a difference by default. Number four, five, rather, servant leaders inspire others to greatness. That's what Jesus was trying to do over in, in John chapter 13. When he washed his disciples' feet, he was working to inspire them and motivate them and challenge them to higher and higher heights of greatness. And it's a beautiful thing. And then number six, servant leaders can be found at every level of an organization. You can find that anywhere, servant leaders. Take here at the church, you know, at the very top of the organization, you got Pastor Jim. What does he do? He leads by serving here at the church, serving us as his pastor, and he does that in a very wonderful way and a great example to all of us. You can find that in, in the middle of the organization. You've got your department coordinators. Josh Williams was back there earlier. He's our head usher. What's he doing? He's serving in, in the, yeah, let's give Josh a big hand. Doing a great job. What's he doing? He's serving the church as a servant leader in, in the middle levels of the organization. What about at the bottom of the organization? You got someone back there changing diapers, dirty diapers in the nursery, right? See at the bottom of the organization there? Thanks. All right. So how do we, how do we recognize servant leaders, all right? So we, we believe it's important. We believe it matters. We believe serving is what gets us to greatness in the eyes of God. We, we go, okay, Pastor Dave, I'm on board. I, I want to be a servant leader. How do I recognize that? What kind of attributes do I look for? How do I conduct myself 
to be an effective servant leader? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at seven signs of a successful servant leader. All right? Anybody want to be successful as a servant leader? All right? Anybody can follow signs? You ever seen a sign before on the road? All right. Here's seven signs of a successful servant leader. A servant leader does not have to be in charge. You know, if you're waiting for the person in charge to lead, sometimes you're going to be waiting a long time. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you show up at work tomorrow morning and say, okay, boss, you're not leading well, so I'm taking over. That's not, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm talking about servant leadership. I'm talking about setting the example to those around you that will inspire them to follow and in like kind become a servant as well. Look at these life points. Check this out, life point number one. If we will let Jesus be the head, he'll always lead us in the right direction. You know, Colossians 1.18 tells us that Jesus is the head of the body. All right? If we'll, let, if we'll allow Jesus to take the lead, if we'll allow Jesus to be in charge, if we'll allow Jesus to call the shots, if we'll allow Jesus to guide us down the paths and trails that he wants us to go down, that's where we'll end up and land where we can most effectively serve and impact and touch people's lives. All right? Look at the next life point. We need to be willing to give up control if we're to be a successful servant leader. You know, some people are control freaks. You ever notice that? Um, you ever meet a control freak? They, I mean, they've, they've, they've got to, don't point. They've, they've, got to, they've got to handle and control everything. But see, you know, some people we, we think, okay, well, that person's a control freak. But most all of us want to control our situation. We want to handle what's going on. We want to, we want to be able to decide what's happening, not go along with what's happening. How many of you have ever done this? You, you've come to God, you've decided what you want to do, and you've come and you've brought it to the Lord, and you've gone, Lord, here's what I'm doing. Um, now, please approve this. Anybody ever do that? Pastor tells us all the time, your destiny is not yours to decide. Your destiny is yours to discover. All right? We discover what God has put forth and laid forth for us. We don't decide it ourselves. And so when it comes to being a servant leader, you don't have to be in charge. You can go along with the flow with the Lord. But when it comes to those around you, you don't have to wait for someone else to take the lead as a servant. You can take that lead yourself by example. And you'd be amazed at how many other people will follow, no matter where they are in the organization chart. Second sign of a successful servant leader, a servant leader values the people or the person that they are serving. You know, one thing I love about our pastor is he absolutely loves and values every one of you. He, he cares very deeply and very dearly for every person in this church. And I love that about him because I have honestly seen some pastors that do not like people. And I'm not joking. There are some ministers out there, there's some pastors out there that, that, that hate people. They're the ones that make the statement, you know, if it weren't for the people, ministry would be awesome. But guess what? Ministry is about the people, all right? And yet some pastors, some ministers don't really have a heart for the people. They don't care for them. They don't value the people that they serve. And many of those same pastors are frustrated and many of those pastors end up dropping out of ministry because they don't, they're not lined up with what they're called to do. Guys, you have to care for and value the people that you serve. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Let me help you understand. My role as the executive pastor here at the church, Pastor Jim serves 
this congregation. Pastors, you guys. He helps you guys to grow in your walks with the Lord. You know who I help? I help Pastor Jim help you. Does that make sense? Now, I know in that function many times I'm working directly with many of you and helping and serving you. And Pastor Rob and I do counsel with many of you guys and various things. But what happens is this. We're not there simply to help you. We're there to help Pastor Jim pastor this wonderful congregation of awesome people. All right? We care very dearly for our pastor. We care very dearly for you. We value you, but we value our pastor. And because of that, we choose to serve uh, honorably in those roles because we want to make a difference in each and every one of your lives. You know, when, when I was in college, or this was actually in high school, I went, uh, I went and did a, a summer kind of service project thing, not a whole summer, but for a week. We went up into the mountains of the coal mountains right on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia. I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere. And there were some interesting folks there. And, and, and we went and we were helping out this one particular family that was just way back up in the middle of nowhere on the side of this mountain. And we were there just to help them work on their home and, and serve them. And it was, a, it was a pretty interesting place. This was a house that had no doors. There were no doors in it. I mean, there were doorways, but there were no doors on the house, no steps to get up to the doors. They had to kind of climb up into the house to get in and out of this house. They had an outhouse right directly in front of their house, not behind or to the side. It was right in front of their house, probably 15 feet from the house, right in front of it, that was completely overflowed. I mean, it was, it was horrific. And you could be 100 yards away, and, and, and it was not pleasant. So part of what we were there for was to dig them a new outhouse. So we're there building and digging them a brand new outhouse. And this was a, a very interesting family, and, and, and we just fell in love with this family. It was a husband and wife. They had a bunch of kids, a bunch of mangy dogs running around. And they had this big, this big uh, tub, this big metal tub that sat out in front of the house too, right close to their outhouse. And they didn't have any running water, so they'd go down the hill. There's a creek at the bottom of the hill. They'd dip up water, and they'd fill this tub with water. And all day long, all these dirty, mangy kids and all these dirty, mangy dogs would jump in this tub of water and play and splash around together in the water. That was where they entertained themselves and played. Well, then at lunchtime, Mom would come out with a pot, dip a big pot of water out of that same tub of water, and go back in to cook up lunch. And she was continually offering us wonderful meals from her kitchen that we were creatively turning down for various reasons. But it was, it was an interesting place. Inside the house, it was infested. I mean infested with roaches. I've never seen so many roaches anywhere. You, could, you, you couldn't walk anywhere without crunching something. And they had this big, they had this big, I don't know where they got it from. This, it's like a, you, you know those, those ice cream, those big ice cream things you have when you go to the ice cream shop, you know, like the five-gallon tubs or whatever they are. You know what I'm talking about. They had a big tub like that of chocolate pudding. Chocolate pudding. I think they must have grabbed it from the school system or something there in town or something. But anyway, they had this big tub of chocolate pudding. And it was like chocolate pudding filled with raisins. All right? Because you had all these roaches there in the house. And if you've never had, if you've never had crunchy chocolate pudding... Um, I, I don't recommend it. And so they were, they were regularly offering us this chocolate pudding, wanting us to help ourselves to this pudding, and it was, it was just disgusting. 
And so then the dad comes home one day because we're doing all this work. We're working on their house. We're, we're doing a variety of things. And it was desperately in need of painting. So the dad comes home and he's got this five-gallon bucket of paint. He's very excited about it. He wants us to paint the house. So we get started painting the house with this paint and discover it was a very creative color. And as we explored a little more deeply, we found that where he'd gotten the paint from was he had stolen it from the, the road crew that was painting the yellow lines down the middle of the road, right? And it wasn't like the yellow paint on the road. It was the yellow paint from the road. And we painted this house bright yellow, and if you pulled up at night, this whole house would glow. When your headlights hit the house, the, the whole house would glow. And so when we first arrived at this house, remember, it's this roach-infested place. We first arrived at the house. I walked in and was meeting the, the dad for the first time. And they had this, this picture hanging up on the wall. And it was one of those old velvet black light pictures, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like dogs playing poker or, or, you know what I'm saying, Elvis. Um, and I don't even remember what the picture was, but I was trying to be polite. And I walked in and, and I complimented the picture to the guy as I was walking into his home. Well, fast forward five, six days later, we're getting to the end of the week. We've been out there working. We've developed a relationship with this family. We love these people now. They love us. We're about to leave. And right as we're about to go, the dad chases me down. And he goes, listen, he goes, you know, we're so thankful. It was very touching. I mean, he was very emotional about it. It was a very touching thing. He comes and he says, I, I, want, I want you to know that, that you know, you know, what you guys have done has been, been such a blessing to us. I want to give you something. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I don't need anything. He's like, yeah. He says, I know how much you love that picture in, in our den, all right? And I want to give you this picture. So he goes to the den wall, and he takes the picture down off the wall, and there are no less than 20 roaches on the wall behind the picture, you know, that start looking around and going, wow, and they all scatter. And he presents me with this, with this picture, and it's very touching to him. And you ever have one of those little, what do they call it, maracas, those little shaker things? This picture had so many roaches infested in the frame of this picture that you could shake it, and it sounded like one of those little maracas. I mean, this thing was just disgusting. So I'm very thankful and appreciated him and went and stuck it in the back of the truck, and we got in the truck and drove down the road about a half a mile and pulled up to a dumpster and tossed it in the dumpster. In that half a mile from when we left their house to where we got to the dumpster, all of our clothes, everything in the back of that truck were infested with the roaches from that picture and from the picture frame. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Now, why do I tell you all these? Just to entertain you. But the point behind it is this. Here's the point behind it. We love those precious, precious people. We were honored to get to serve that family. Those kids, those parents, they were in abject poverty and they were in a very tough situation. But you know what? They were happy, joyful folks and we had the privilege of serving that family because we valued and cared for the people that we were serving. We could have been there going yuck at all this stuff. Instead, it was, it was fun and it was interesting and it was entertaining, but we were there to serve and we were there to serve because we cared for them. Number three, third sign of a successful servant, a servant leader serves in God's strengths and abilities and not his own. Ephesians 10 says, or 6.10, says, says that we should be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 1 Peter 4.11, it says that when we minister, we should minister with the ability that God supplies. Many times God will give us an assignment or he'll ask us to do something or we'll go and do something uh, that we believe is the right thing to do for the Lord. 
And we'll try to do it in our own strength. And our, only, our own strength will only take us so far. Or we'll try to do it with our own limited ability and it will only take us so far. I was telling you about that, that camp I worked at for, for a week when I was in high school. We continued to do that year after year for a number of years. And then when I was in college, I actually worked a couple of summers in college full time, a whole, all summer at, on staff at camps that did something very similar to that. We'd take people out, do uh, service project work. And the second year that I was on staff at one of these camps, I was probably 19 or 20 years old. And I had a real high level of responsibility there in that, in that camp and in that team. And there was a whole lot going on and it was piling up on me. Anybody ever feel overwhelmed by your responsibility load? I mean, it was coming at me from every angle and, and it kind of built up and built up and we were about halfway through the summer. And I reached a point where I was out one day and literally I probably had 10 days worth of work I had to knock out that day and none of it could be put off to the next day. And I was just feeling the pressure build and 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 build. And I'm driving down the road in my truck and I finally yelled out to God. I mean, I literally yelled out to God, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And that was one of the most awesome experiences I've ever had in my life. Because the moment I yelled out to God, I can't do this. As clear as, as day, on the inside of me, I sensed the Lord saying, good, I'm glad you finally arrived at that understanding. And it was the greatest pressure relief that I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, I was like a balloon that was about to pop. I was like that radiator that was about to blow. And then all of a sudden, all that pressure left. All of that strain, all that weight, all that heaviness was lifted off my shoulders. Why? Because now I'm not trying to do it anymore. Now I'm letting God do it. And I'm going along with him. Right? Because God wasn't wanting me to do all this stuff. God was wanting to do this stuff through me and with me. And I was trying to do so much of it on my own and on my own strength and in my own abilities. And I couldn't do it. I was too limited to be able to do it that way. It takes me a long time and I won't try to do it. But over the course of the rest of that day, nothing changed in the circumstances. Still had all the same responsibilities. Still had to get all the same things done. But yet all of a sudden now I wasn't dreading it because I wasn't having to do it by myself. I had God on board and I was working with him. And it was incredible the things that we accomplished over the course of the rest of that day. I mean, God thing after God thing after God thing. And we were able to get through that day and through the next number of days and in that year very, very successfully. And it was because I quit trying to do it in my own strength and I allowed God on board and did it with his strength. His strength's a lot bigger. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Number four, here's your fourth sign of a successful servant leader. Servant leader has a great attitude. How many of you think our pastor has a great attitude? You know, it is a choice. It is a choice to rejoice. You've probably heard pastors say a number of times, you know, I'm in the best mood today. Why? Because I chose it. Attitude is a choice. Don't have a bad attitude like these guys did. We got to get going to the church. We're going to be late. I need to iron that. Oh, I don't have time to iron that. If we don't leave now, we'll get stuck in that third pew where that light comes in with the stained glass. I hate that light. We need to get there so we can get the second pew. 
next to Betty and Mary. Come on, let's go. One thing's for certain, that coffee breath is pew. But I gotta thank you. After all these years in marriage, you brought religion into my life. Well, that sure is a nice thing to say. Wait, how'd I do that? Well, until I met you, I didn't believe in the devil. How many of you think, how many of you think Chad and Amber are bad examples? Very, very bad examples. Well, one time when I was in college, I had, I had a car. It was, it was a pretty new car. It was in great shape. I think I just cleaned it. And I was going to visit a friend of mine that lived out in this little farmhouse. And uh, I, I pulled up to his house. I didn't know if he was there that day or not. And so I hopped out of the car. And for whatever reason, I left my door open in the car and went up to the porch and was banging on the door and found out that he wasn't there. Well, there was this dog. It wasn't his dog, but it was this mangy mutt that, that hung around in the area. That It was huge. It was, it was, it was, he was still a puppy, but he was probably a year old. And he was just huge. It was like a, I don't even remember what brand dog he was, but he was big. And this dog had been rolling around in every mud bog, every creek, every crud infested area that he could find within you know, the nearest mile or two of where we were. And I'm standing on this porch and I look up and I see this dog. And I'm about, you know, from here to the sound booth away from the dog. And I'm about, you know, from here to the sound booth away from my car in a different direction. Well, the dog spotted my car at the same time that I spotted the dog spotting my car. <laughs> and the first thing he noticed about my car was the door was open. First thing I noticed about the dog was that the dog noticed my door was open. And you ever, you ever do those, one of those things where you're, where you're running in slow motion and you're, you're like, no, it's, it's like a dream. So the dog's sprinting for the car. I'm sprinting for the dog. The dog's faster than I am. And he got to the car probably three seconds before I did. And in three seconds, that dog managed to not only climb on my driver's seat, but all over the passenger seat, climbed over the seat into the back seat, and wallowed all over my back seat in both sides, all in like three seconds. And my entire car was trashed in three seconds. I mean, it was like whoosh. And so I went nuts. I was like, this dog is going to die. <laughs> and so I yanked the door open and the dog jumps out and he's all happy, smiling, wagging his tail. And I'm like, this dog's got to die. So I, I, I'm trying to punish this dog. And so I started chasing the dog. Well, the dog thinks it's a game. <laughs> he has no concept that he's done anything wrong. He's just happy someone's playing with him now. And so I'm chasing this dog, and I can't catch him, and I'm getting madder and madder, and my attitude's getting worse and worse, and the more I chase him, the, the less I'm catching. And so finally I'm looking for a stick, and I find a stick, and I'm trying to beat the dog with a stick, but I can't catch up with the dog. So I decided I'm going to throw the stick at him. Well, now we're playing catch. <laughs> and the more angry I am at this dog, and the more I'm yelling, and I'm out there all by myself. It's me and this dog and no one else in the world. And I mean, I'm doing everything I can to punish this dog. And the harder I work at it, the more fun the dog is having. <laughs> and the angrier I'm getting. And I finally reached a point where I just wore myself out. I just, I just chased and yelled and ran and threw 
till I couldn't run and throw anymore and just finally hit the ground. And there's that stupid dog just sitting there wagging his tail, smiling at me after it was all done. You know, my bad attitude didn't accomplish anything. Didn't get anything done. There was nothing productive that helped in that situation. Bad attitudes never help. And bad attitudes are, are really a destructive force in our lives. Check out some uh, Pastor Jim aspects of attitude, all right? Here's what Pastor Jim's taught us about attitude throughout the years. We'll go through these super quick. Attitude is your advanced man. People meet your attitude before they meet you. You ever notice that? It gets out there in front of you. It's your best friend or it is your worst enemy. Number three, <clears throat> it reflects more honestly and consistently on you than your words. You can see my attitude much better than you can hear my words, right? Number four, check it out. It's what draws people to you or repels people from you. Number five, it's the librarian of your past. Number six, it's the speaker of your present. Number seven, it's the prophet of your future. Number eight, it's more important than IQ. It really is. Attitude is huge. Number nine, attitude is the difference maker. And then number 10, you've heard this before, it's a choice to rejoice. It really is. Choosing a good attitude, guys, is huge. And if you want to be a successful servant leader, if you want to be great in the eyes of God, we've got to have a great attitude while we're going about doing it. Here's number five. Our fifth aspect uh, or fifth sign of a successful servant leader. A servant leader understands it's a get-to and not a have-to. Now, this is intertwined with attitude. What if I got up this morning, maybe I've, I've, uh, today I'm on the schedule to serve in the nursery. All right? Here's what a have-to does. I get up and I go, oh gosh, on the schedule again for the nursery. Got to clean other stinky kids' you know, diapers. And these, these, these kids are brats, by the way. Their parents do a horrible job parenting them all through the week. And now they drop them off with me. And I'm stuck with having to keep up with these brats all, all morning. And not only that, these parents, they're so glad to get rid of their kids. They don't come back and pick them up after the service. They hang around at the cup of joy. They drink four or five cups of coffee. They talk to all their friends while I'm back there taking care of their bratty kid. I'd love to get to Shoney's, but yet I got to wait with their bratty kids until they finally pick them up. But you know, I got to bear my cross for the Lord. The Lord, the Lord wants me to do it. And so being the good Christian that I am, you know, I'm going to do God a favor and I'm going to work in the nursery today. All right. That's a have to. All right. A get-to gets up and goes, thank God I'm on the schedule again. Amen. All right? And listen, I know these kids sometimes can be a handful, but I also know that if I'm back there taking care of these kids, mom and dad, maybe for the first time this week, are getting a break from taking care of these kids, and they're able to sit in that service, and they're able to hear the Word of God, and their life can be changed. This may be the first time they've ever come to Joy Church, and maybe they've had a horrible week. Maybe they've had some terrible news this week. Maybe one of them lost a job. Maybe one of them got terrible health news this week. Maybe a loved one passed away, and they're going through some family crisis, and they've struggled, and they've wrestled with it. But today, because I'm here and because I'm serving and because I'm making a difference by taking care of these kids, they can sit and hear the Word of God, and their lives can be changed forever. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get to serve today. See the difference? Circumstances are all the same. Kids are all the same. Except I can promise you the kids with the person doing the get-to rather than the have-to are going to do a lot better. By the way, if that is you on that have-to example, please drop out of children's ministry right away. <laughs> right away. Because 
We, we do not want you with our kids. Um, but guys, that's, it's, it's, again, it's, it's, there's this attitude in, intertwined. But what we get to do for the Lord, serving others, serving our church, serving this community, guys, it's a privilege. It's an honor to get to be a part of what we get to be a part of here at this church. It's pretty cool. Number six, servant leader understands he's part of a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. We can accomplish so much more together as a team than we can individually. If one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, imagine what 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 can do. We can get a lot done. A team can make a huge difference. And then number seven, servant leaders not lead to be somebody. They lead to help somebody. That's important. Let's look at this life point that goes with that. When you put someone else first, God will take great care of you. Look at, let, let, me, let me give it to you in a different way. This is a Pastor Jim life point. My needs should mean nothing to me and everything to you. Your needs should mean nothing to you but everything to me. What am I talking about? I'm talking about if I will get my focus off of me and if I'll get my focus on you and on others, it's amazing how God will take care of me. It's amazing what a difference that'll make. And here's the cool part of it. What are we talking about? What's this whole subject? This whole subject is improving your serve. This whole subject is becoming a servant leader. This whole subject is if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a great servant. Now, the disciples were interested in the greatness. Remember that? Many times in the world, the athletes, the scholars, the the, you know, the professionals, many times they're interested in the greatness. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being great in the kingdom of God. Jesus proved that out in the verse we looked at. But here's the cool part. If we will do what Jesus instructed us to do, and if we will work and be diligent to become the greatest servant, one, we will become great by default. Two, it will mean less and less to us. It will become less and less important to us. The goal of becoming great will become an insignificant goal to us because all of our focus is on her helping and serving others. That's where we will end in the place of greatness, and we won't even know we're there. We won't even realize we've arrived because we're too busy focusing on someone else and we're less concerned about ourselves.